From Treaties 6, 7, and 8 lands, I'm Iman Bukhari. And I'm Irfan Chaudhry, and you're tuning in to the Common Ground Podcast. We all know Canada was formed as a nation on the basis of the white man's burden. Whether it's through politicians, our laws, or everyday people, Canada's past and present history with Indigenous peoples is not the best. The Indigenous community in Canada continues to suffer individual and systemic oppression, from the legacy of residential schools to the over-incarceration of Indigenous people in Canadian prisons, things do not appear to be improving. In Alberta alone, 40% of male inmates identify as Indigenous. That number is higher when we look at Indigenous women, at 55%. When you put it into context, about 4% of Canada's overall population is Indigenous. A 2015 report called First Nations People, Second Class Citizens provides a gut-wrenching summary on the impacts of this type of systemic hate and discrimination on the Indigenous community. As this report states, Indigenous people have been managing racism and its impacts on well-being for hundreds of years, demonstrating resilience in the face of violence, cultural genocide, legislated segregation, appropriation of lands, and social and economic oppression. So we've continuously heard about hate crimes increasing in our nation and according to Statistics Canada and police authorities, in recent years, hate crimes have largely targeted Muslims, Jewish and the black community. But is that a fact or could there be an error due to missing data? Canadian Cultural Mosaic Foundation, a not-for-profit group, Focused on improving race relations, I founded a few years back, has been doing a study on race-related hate crimes and incidents that are reported to news outlets as well as tribunals. According to our 2018 statistics, we noticed that the Indigenous community was in fact the most discriminated and targeted against based on incidents and crimes reported to news outlets across the country. Although our research study is still in the works for the next two years, because we want to compare data for the next three years, our research definitely goes against what's actually being reported, showing an underlying systemic issue with the hate data we actually collect across our nation. The video has captured what is, for many Indigenous people, an enduring frustration. It feels good to know there's a lot of people supporting me, and you know, I didn't expect it to go that viral that fast. I just wanted to show Facebook, like my friends and family, what I was going through. 18-year-old Ezekiel Big Knife says he was followed by the same employee at least seven times over the past month before he recorded the video to expose what he calls harassment and racial profiling. I'm sick of it, you know, I shouldn't have to feel uncomfortable shopping in a public establishment. Why me of all people, like, what, because I'm looking rough, like, I just get off work, of course. Being a drywall, you're going to look dirty going into a store. I spoke with Keeson O'Dell, McEwen University student engagement advisor with Key Watson, McEwen's Indigenous Centre. In his role, he travels to First Nations, Métis and Inuit communities across Western Canada, including his home community of Frog Lake First Nations. 
In these conversations, he goes to these communities to discuss the university experience, also offer information, and build relationship with students and organizations. Yeah, so the hate I think we're seeing in the province recently is just people not understanding uh, the current issues that are in our political climate right now. Uh, I usually like to refer to uh, Stephen Hawking's quote where he says, the greatest threat to knowledge is not not knowledge, but it's the illusion of knowledge. And I think that's where a lot of people who come from this hate have an illusion of knowledge about what's happening in their community or, or happening to their identity or happening to these other areas, right? You see uh, people discriminating against Indigenous peoples because of stereotypes uh, and perceived knowledge uh, as compared to actually knowing what's going on, right? And I think that's what's going on, especially things like Facebook, you know, Instagram, Twitter, things like that, where it's easy to not fact check. And again, the whole area of fake news right now and getting people really excited, I could see that people having that movement. And the more and more, I think we have um, sort of minority groups, I guess, coming together and having a voice in the community. People feel like they're being attacked instead. And so they're while they shouldn't be feeling attacked, they're not being attacked. Um, they feel like they need to retaliate for something that doesn't require retaliation. I mean, fighting for Indigenous rights, uh, newcomers to Canada, people receiving uh, equal treatments. Uh, it's all great things, of course, for our province and for our country. And then seeing those people band together, I feel like people from other groups feel like they need to band together. But they use it, uh, groupings of them use that as a source of hate as uh, instead of a source of unity, right? We can't talk about hate and its impact on the Indigenous community without reflecting on colonialism, the practice of forcefully acquiring political control over another. Colonialism does not benefit the colonized, and we see its impact to this day. The impact of colonialism on Indigenous people in Canada is disturbing and is really attributed to the negative sentiment and hatred many people have towards this community. Stereotypical assumptions regarding substance abuse, poverty, and perceived special treatment from the government often have contributed to Indigenous people having to deal with racism on a daily basis, both at a systemic level, but also on an institutional level. For Keeston, he sees a lot of the issues are stemming from a lack of understanding. People from the other groups can see, understand what inequality is, but I don't think people understand what equity is well. And so if they see people from poor communities or from lower socioeconomic classes having policies or having access to resources or funds or areas for their improvements of life, but the same people, because of their privilege, don't access those kind of things, they see it as other people certain people becoming haves and the have-nots instead of understanding what equity is. So I think that's one thing people struggle with. Is people can understand what inequality is. And so saying, all right, you have lower standard of life or, you know, you have these things going on in your life or this certain kind of privilege, but not understanding what equity is so everyone becomes equal. And so not understanding, again, and not really internalizing certain privileges that we come from everyday life, right? He also sees that social media reaffirms and confirms certain biases. The way that social media expands so quickly, right, and things go out, is that the facts can, every people can get an idea of understand, see something quickly, and then not need to fast check it or see it explode so much quicker. And again, I think when we use Facebook, and you see algorithms, or you see algorithms within YouTube and Facebook, that they'll show things. And so constantly using social media isn't becoming aware. I think it's just confirming, it's confirmation bias, right? You know, if you're following certain pages that subscribe to your views, and then of course, you're going to see that over and over. And so really having social media is just 
confirming the biases you already have uh, rather than learning about them, right? When we think about how bias is confirmed and then reaffirmed, there is no better place to see this than during public rallies between hate groups and anti-racist activists. These confrontations often turn into a shouting match, sometimes violent, where hearts and minds aren't changed but are re-engaged to amplify the message of their stance versus really hearing each other out. I think people always strive for identity, you know, being part of strong groups. And I know that white supremacist groups and alt-right groups uh, kind of prey on those kind of people. You'll see it in different movies and documentaries. And people who are feeling isolated or alone will give them a common enemy, uh, even if that enemy doesn't exist. And then so I think that's one thing is uh, why it's becoming so much more prevalent as well, is instead of people see people coming together for good reasons, for seeing that within Edmonton, um, again, I feel like Edmonton, we like to think we're progressive, and I think we are. We can be in quite a bit of ways. But again, people feel isolated or angry in different ways, and then alt-right groups or supremacist groups tend to cater towards that as well, right? So yeah. those people who are feeling those kind of isolated ways. and then But people in those uh, right-sided communities uh, don't understand that spaces that we create for inclusion and equality are open to all people of backgrounds. That's like another reason at Kiowaston why we always tell everyone it's absolutely open for everyone, all of our ceremonies, everything like that, is because no one should feel excluded. And I feel like people have paranoia about talking about uh, indigenous rights, about immigrant rights, about uh, LGBTQ people rights, because it hasn't been talked about for so long. People, these people who are joining these alt-right groups, haven't grown up having to have the conversations with their parents, with their grandparents, with their teachers, because it wasn't talked about for so long. And now they're feeling that they don't know how to uh, join that conversation. And then they get preyed on by the alt-right. And then, again, Facebook, Instagram, social media. And then, again, going out and trying to, I feel like, you know, the alt-right people try to find ways to stir up controversy within communities you know with that saluting uh, on social media i saw right that was basically to cause up controversy and then sprayed hate throughout the scene and yeah there is like there was you know fights happening at these different kind of places or people showing up you know yellow vests to argue against other people is because they want the or those soldiers of odin showing up at that mosque right and then causing problems there is because they're looking for an enemy that doesn't really exist right mm-hmm. and the one thing when we talked about indigenous identity and why it's being fought for so much is that our assimilation uh, into Canadian identity was exclusionary, lose these things and become a Canadian. How can we uh, compare Canadian identities when you get to be Canadian right off the bat, right? Especially even me. I'm a white passing male, half Indigenous, grew up in my community. But then I think about the same thing from my wife, where she gets told she is exotic looking, Right. And so people go, oh, you're she's, you know, black hair, dark eyes, uh, brown, of course, as well, looks very indigenous. But people always tell her she has an exotic look to her. And then I always find it funny. I'm like, uh, that's the idea of like colonization with candy and forgetting our history. In reality, I'm the exotic looking one. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, of having the, my skin color, my eye color, my hair color, my wife, who's, you know, all Cree, she's probably the least exotic looking person uh, in Canada, right? And then, but again, thinking about how uh, non-Indigenous Canadians or, you know, uh, European ancestry Canadians will think of Canadian identity as, you know, white identity, European identity mixed with Canadian, and about get to other my wife who's from this land. And so I find it interesting to see, I'm like, well, your own history mm-hmm. and your own identity is colonized within it if you're going to call me 
the permanent, you know, Canadian while she gets to be the exotic othered. So I find that interesting when I talk to people and especially when they tell her she has an exotic look to her. The stereotypical labels the Indigenous community has to deal with often appears in many overt and covert ways. We see from Keaston's sharing of his own personal experience how these types of othering comments towards the Indigenous community comes from all layers of society, in all types of social circumstances, and not just from hate groups. This is something the Indigenous community has to always try to deal with and counter. It's always like, oh my God, you're actually doing something? Oh, you're actually doing great? You live in the city, you pay your bills, things like that. And so, well, we want to celebrate our successes when it comes from other non-Indigenous people. Sometimes it comes from like a point of almost patronizing, right? When you're like, oh, good for you. Uh, I even get that when I tell people, oh, I'm from Frog Lake. And they go, oh my God, good for you. You're doing great, which is nice. I appreciate that. But again, it comes from a expecting the worst. well-known Indigenous activist in Calgary is Michelle Robinson. This Diné activist is the Indigenous Liaison for 12 Community Safety Initiative, a co-chair of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Woman, Girls, and Two-Spirit Calgary Committee, co-founder of Voices, a group advocating for the Two-Spirit and queer people of colour in Calgary, and the National Vice Chair of Membership and Organization of the Indigenous Peoples Commission. However, Michelle's journey to activism as an Indigenous woman wasn't something she realized until she was an adult. I started what we call in the Indigenous world going down the red road of connecting with culture and and understanding what happened. And uh, that's just been the biggest blessing for me to understand it. Some days I wish I wouldn't have taken the red pill and and just stayed with the blue pill. But at the same time, um, at least now I have a better understanding of what was happening to me. So I started to get very political because um, at the end of the day, this is legislative. Uh, It's embedded in our constitution. And if it's going to ever get better, we have to focus at the political level because it is political. And a lot of folks um, don't like talking about Indigenous issues. They see it as too political. And unfortunately, that's a privilege for folks who, you know, feel that way and to not have to live a life of being discriminated against. Facing the reality of being an Indigenous woman, Michelle is well aware of their struggles. A lot of people may not know that uh, after a lot of Indian residential school survivors testified, a lot of them committed suicide because it was reopening those wounds and they they couldn't live with the pain anymore. But they, they gave their testimony. So to me, Indian residential schools are still killing our people and uh, the legacy of that will continue. And it won't end until we start having non-Indigenous politicians understand the gravity of what is happening. Um, We've seen propaganda from the moment of contact of what Indigenous are or not. And at the end of the day, that propaganda really does uh, perpetuate the hate that we experience every day. Um, Every single day, I see people talking about how much taxpayers' money people are giving. And I have to start off many of my... um, conversations by saying I didn't pay I didn't have um, you know my school in post-secondary education for paid by anybody other than me Um, most of the people I know have student loans 
and I pay taxes and I've already blown the minds of everyone in the room because that those are two things that everybody assumes that we've all had our education paid for and that uh, we don't pay taxes. And I even had the mayor say that to me. And I was um, pretty hurt by that, frankly, because, well, educated man, um, you know, very progressive. And yet even he falls for the propaganda. Um, so, yeah, it, it's very difficult uh, white coding in this world because, you know, just by people looking at you, they automatically hate you. You can see it in their face. You can see I'm, I was at an event last night and there one of the hostess, she couldn't look me in the eye. And when um, she was at any point in time looking at my direction, you could just see the repulse, repulse, repulsive um, feelings that she had just looking at me that my presence was even there. And, um, you know, that that's every day for me. And it's just trying to shield my daughter away from it and, uh, yeah, keeping her safe. With her activism, Michelle also touches on the direct relationship between white nationalism and colonialism, and essentially the role and accountability of everyone who's non-Indigenous. White nationalists particularly have no concept of what colonialism is. And in fact, most that I have talked to that uh, truly believe that we were conquered people and that one shows how bad our history is and two shows propaganda, but three shows their ignorance. You know, that was the whole point of the treaties and that was was to keep peace and work together. And uh, it was it's just never been reciprocal, the relationship. And uh, I think it's really hard for today's Canadians to understand how much they've been lied to. I was recently giving a talk at one of the universities and that was, they felt betrayed by the government that why wouldn't they tell us this? And I think that um, a lot of Canadians now know that and they just don't know what to do with that. So they just continue to move on knowing that and just saying, well, it's not really my issue, so I'm not going to continue with it. But in fact, by doing that, are contributing to colonialism and contributing to the problem and uh, not holding, you know, their government officials to account and not holding the community to account. Because at the end of the day, if, um, you know, you're at a sports a sport event and, you know, people are cheering for the Indians or the Chiefs and making whoop whoop sounds or I this morning I was with a friend of mine and she made the offhand comment of, oh, we're having a little powwow. And then later she said, that was probably offensive to you. And I said, absolutely. And she goes, well, I didn't mean anything by it. And I, I know she doesn't mean anything by it, but the problem is ignorance is not just the root of hurt. It's the root of killing. We, we're just not dealing with ignorance. We're not dealing with hate. And at the end of the day, the ignorance is the root of all of the issues of hate, all of it. Um, and it, whether it's Sikh, Islam, uh, Indigenous, it's it's the root of everything is that ignorance. And there is a lot of work, and we've seen it in Doug Ford's um, government, where, you know, they were just going to cut the Indigenous education, cut the sex education, and uh, that's going to hurt a lot of people, and that's going to perpetuate ignorance, and that's going to continue hate crimes. And with Orlando shooting, like, we need to really be educating our people about the gravity of things. And the fact that our, our young students are going to be protesting globally over climate change because parents are too you know, ignorant to find out more about climate change says a lot about a real awful power dynamic happening in this world right now.
Garrett Smith is another name that many Calgarians know. Garrett is a proud member of the Pigani and Ghanai tribes of Blackfoot Nation in southern Alberta. He's an activist, an actor, a writer, and a youth support advocate. Last year, he founded the Mokinsa's Healing Camp, previously located in downtown Calgary. Anger. And I feel like that's where a lot of these protests and a lot of these actions started is because of the initial anger we feel towards the injustices, you know, and the atrocities that are, you know, our society may be facing. But that is really where it, where it's come out of is this anger towards, you know, this, like, like, just that, this lack of justice. And instead of allowing that anger to carry on and just perpetuate, I wanted to create more of a healing aspect out of that anger. And the camp for me became very much a symbol of First Nations culture and our connection to this land. And within that connection, we were able to understand our anger. We were able to understand our emotions. And as a man, I feel like that's something that we've really lost control of is that anger. So for me, the camp was just a huge return to this principle of being open, of being kind, of being loving and allowing that to lead. We want to actually have a tangible, long-lasting action, you know, that works towards this healing that we so desperately need within our Indigenous community. And this is a space of learning and understanding. And if you have no idea why we're here, by all means, please come in and ask. And if you see us drumming and having our songs, please come in and join us. You know, that's, that's what this teepee is, is here for. Garrett utilizes his experience growing up in Treaty 7 territory, the lessons he learned from the elders, his time spent in prison, and the life-changing path he found in acting that led him to help himself become a better father and do what he can to help his people heal. And for myself personally, I received a lot of negative um, I had a lot of negative experiences in there where people will come up to the camp with a very aggressive nature and, you know, you know a racist attitude, you know, to be blunt. And I had to face that with, with love, with, with, with kindness, you know, and in actually doing so, that gave me a power that I never really experienced before. And it allowed this, it, it allowed us to communicate in a way that I've never communicated before. I found the most valuable thing was just giving someone else your time. And of, that, that sounds so like, like that's, that's such common sense, of like, duh, of course, but at the camp, having people sit down and just talk and having all these different worldviews just come together and allowing each person to speak without being defensive, you know, understanding that we're there just to listen. We're not there to change each other's mind. We don't want you to walk away. You know, um, I'm First Nations, you know, I don't really believe, you know, wholeheartedly in the Christian, you know, religion, you know, I like aspects of it, you know, but I don't condemn people for being Christian, right? You know, and, you know, if it works for you, that's fine, right? You know, that's cool, you know? And I think that's what we need to remind ourselves for. So long as people are living their life and it isn't negatively impacting you, then, you know, why do you need to look down on it, right? You know? And so having those conversations at the camp, I think it, it just opened up my my own understanding to it. It's, it. it's that simple. It is just that simple to just sit down and talk to someone, right? You know, remove whatever bias you may have and have an open mind to, hey, you may not know what you think you know about this culture, this person or this religion or this, you know, heritage, you know, and 
just allow yourself to learn. You know, allow yourself that, yeah. He specifically challenges the male ego to take a deep look at himself and reflect on how we got where we are today and how we can improve where we end up tomorrow. Well, for me, what really changed my mind, what really helped me kind of look at myself in the mirror was the phrase, um, don't give someone else your power. And I learned a while ago how powerful our energies are as a person. And we each, males and females have these different powerful energies. For, for males, I believe one of our powers comes from our voice, our deep resonant voice, you know, and we, in j just from that, you know, scientific aspect alone, you know, it reverberates, you know, it affects things. So when we yell, you know, and our voice vibrates, it, 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 it collides, right, you know, and you feel it, right, you know, so when a man is yelling, or when anyone is really yelling, right, you know, you, you, you feel it, you know, you, you, you get tense, right. And I began to understand that, that that's a power that I have. And not only that, it's a responsibility, you know, to be able to control that power, because I grew up listening to men yell, I grew up listening to, you know, just being screamed at and that kind of thing, and seeing how ineffective it was. And then I had, I grew up thinking about the men who actually sat down and talked to me, right, you know, who were, you know, controlling, or who were in control of their emotions. So for me, it was really that that phrasing of don't give someone else your power. And if you allow someone to affect you so much where you lose control of your own self, where you're no longer being rational, where you're no longer being civil, or you're allowing your anger to lead to where you're yelling, hitting, screaming, or whatever, right, you know, you've given up your power. You've given up this, you know, you've, you've basically showed, um, uh, from what they say, you know, you, you, look, you look like a fool. You know, you, you see these guys yelling and screaming and they, they, they look like fools, you know, and I don't want to look like that anymore. You know, I've, 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 I've put my hands through walls, you know, I've yelled, I've screamed, I've definitely taken my part, you know, in being abusive and manipulative in relationships. And I just realized that I have this power as a man, as a person, and I don't want to give it up. I don't want anybody to just take it from me, you know, because it belongs, it belongs to my my family, it belongs to my people. And I've learned to use that. I'm learning. I haven't got it all figured out yet, but I'm learning to use that for my people in a constructive way. You know, this anger is what drives me now to, you know, help connect our youth, to help connect myself, you know. For Garrett, the solution for non-Indigenous folks to learn about Canada's true history and to improve the state of race relations in Alberta in regards to the Indigenous community is fairly straightforward read opinions that aren't of people of your own you know don't read just the comments of your friends right you know read the comments of other people right you know if you see a long thread on there and people someone explaining right you know you know don't roll your eyes at it you know like actually read it you know because it may you know you, you may learn something and i think that's just one of the simplest things to do at this point in time i don't really have the big solution but i think you know that's just one of the simplest things that we can all do is just read learn ask questions right you know and remove your bias and just learn whatever you can you know and accept the fact that we don't know what we don't know in our next episode we talk about polarizing views regarding immigration refugees and resettlement in alberta